Imagine you're at an exclusive party. Across the crowded room, you spot the most stunning man. You spit take your champagne. He keeps approaching, and then he says, Your spray tanning session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. Get up to $25 off your first month. Featuring Australian gold. Hot guy not included. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia. Often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at njm.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Parks and Recollection. I'm Rob Lowe and Alan Yang. Say hello to the peeps. What's up? Episode six, season two. Here we are. I like that. What's up? We should think of what our, like, like, we should have a thing. I will not rest until the entire show is catchphrases. And then we don't have to do anything. Just do our 10 catchphrases and get, people love catchphrases. People only want, what if they made the whole plane out of the catchphrases? Like, why, why, why come up with them organically? Let's just come up with catchphrases. And you just say literally, say literally a bunch of times and we'll be good. I've done it. It's worked for me. <laughs> we, we know it works. Well, we got a good one today. Kaboom, which by the way, was a serial in the seventies. Do you, I'm older than it you. Was? So you don't remember. I'm yes. afraid Rob, I wasn't alive in the seventies, but what, what was the serial? It was very short lived. It, but I remember it, it oh, had multicolors right. And little like Ferris wheel shaped things. And I liked it. Apparently I was in the minority. Um, and I thought when I watched this, this was going to be about the cereal. And it, it, it was emphatically not about the cereal. It, Kaboom cereal, by the way, has a, a, what appears to be a murderous looking clown on it. <laughs> Maybe that was part of the, 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 the back, the, the, the downfall of the cereal. It also says here, Kaboom cereal appears in Quentin Tarantino's 2003 film, Kill Bill Volume 1, as a hiding place for Vivica A. Fox's gun. So two fans of Kaboom Serial, Rob Lowe, and QT, Quentin Tarantino. You know, th- that speaks to my level of taste. There you go, man. You should, yeah, you should, you should get into directing now. <laughs> Just start now. Thank you. Second act, Thank right? You. Just get into directing. Kaboom Serial. I'll have to get some of that. So it's not about the serial, but what is it about, Alan Yang? I will let you know. Kaboom was episode six of season two, aired April 30th, 2009. For credit heads out there, written by Aisha Muhar, my old roommate, Yay. and directed by Charles McDougall, not my roommate, but a proper British man who has directed tons and tons of television, including The Office, mm-hmm. Desperate Housewives, tons of stuff. I remember Charles McDougall really well. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, terrific a- episode. And here's the synopsis, all you synopsis fans out there. Leslie and Ann head to Eagleton as volunteers to help build a playground. The event is organized by a charity called Kaboom. Not a serial, a charity. Damn it. Which is headed up by its extremely charismatic leader, Keith Slurtner. 
very normal name, played by Paul Shear. While they're there, they bump into Andy, who says he's volunteering, but is actually there just for the free food. He tells Ann and Leslie he's moved out of the pit and is now living with the drummer of his band. Leslie ends up being so inspired by the Eagleton Playground build that she decides to take matters into her own hands and tries to get the pit filled herself without anyone's permission. This plan backfires as they try to fill the pit and discover they just dumped a ton of dirt all over Andy and his home. It turns out he never actually moved out at all. Andy gets injured. He's taken to the hospital where Anne tries to take care of him. He tells Anne that he believes there's still a connection and tries to persuade her to choose him over Mark. Anne shuts the conversation down by getting Andy another nurse. Meanwhile, Leslie's in hot water. Andy's decided to sue Pawnee for his injury, believing that if he wins the money, he'll be able to impress Anne and get her back. Leslie says there's another way he'll be able to impress Anne the next day at City Hall. Andy says he'll drop the lawsuit if the pit gets filled. The pit gets filled the next day, and we see Keefe, the Kaboom guy, right off into the sunset on his boat, revealing Kaboom is actually just an elaborate prank. Now, one of the first things I want to mention is Kaboom is a real organization. Thank you. <laughs> a, this is insane. I don't, so I, I just every time I see this episode, I have to comment on that. So Kaboom is real. And we got the but idea. But not a serial. It's not a serial. It's a real charity organization that does, as far as I know, build playgrounds. Now, I don't know. There's a number of crazy things going on. Number one, why did we write a tag to this episode that implies Kaboom is fake? That, that, is, that seems like, a, like not, a, not, a, not a kind thing. to Anyway, it happened. How did the lawyers let you do I, it? And not only that, the thing he says at the end is so wild. So Paul Shear, great guy, and you know, was on Human Giant and very fun to have him in the show but i remember that like viscerally that stuff getting filmed he's on a speedboat by the way like something that parks and rec has never done he's on a speedboat speeding away and he's like kaboom is fake like it's never it like it's never real like it it, it like and i i then my next it's a scam my next scam is to build a bunch of playgrounds or orphanages in china or something so it's very confusing yeah. i think it was so confusing if i remember correctly greg correct me if i'm wrong we then immediately cut to a, a public service announcement that said Kaboom is real. <laughs> like it's like a real like 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 Leslie and Amy like Le, sorry Amy and and, and uh, Rashida is saying like Kaboom is real. Like if you want to contribute to this, like like it, did you remember that? Am I hallucinating? Like so so we so why did we write that? <laughs> is my question. That doesn't seem that seems like. And why did the organization allow us to do that? Well, Kaboom was excited, I think, to be on the show because it was part of this multi-network like um, tribute to volunteerism that was happening. So a lot of different shows oh. were doing volunteerism. So we picked Kaboom because of That's its it connection to parks. But I remember, I think a very late night in the writer's room, <laughs> someone wrote the tag and it cracked everyone up in this delirium kind of evening. And then it just, we kept laughing. And it was a big debate in the room whether or not we should keep it. Um, but because it was so funny, it stayed in, but we were mandated to immediately afterwards say it was real so yeah we say kaboom is amazing kaboom is fake kaboom is real is the way the parks and rec ended the first time it aired yes that i i that yeah that is ringing a lot of bells and and i just don't know why i mean i i guess i know why we did it because because it was late very late at night and it just got into the show but yeah I, i'm seeing here now so so in the research it says on the huffington post in an editorial after the episode kaboom aired the real kaboom chief executive officer daryl hammond Called the episode Kaperfect. And so now, now that seems like he's scamming us with that quote. It seems like that is also a lie. Like it doesn't seem like that's real. 
But anyway, that, every time I see this, it makes me think of 2 a.m. in the writer's room. It makes me think of Morgan Sackett, our line producer, calling us from the marina or whatever he was shooting this with Paul Shear, being like, do we really need to shoot this? <laughs> like that kind of stuff. And then it airing and being super confusing. So anyway, shout out to confusing you know, tags to episodes that make real organizations seem fake. Well, I love that ending tag where he's on that speed. It looks like Miami Vice all of a sudden. Uh, it's, it's a completely different show. And where is he? What's the, lo- what's the logic? There's not. There's no body of water that big anywhere near where Pawnee yeah, would he, be. Is he on Lake Michigan? Did he take the boat from Pawnee to Lake Michigan? Yeah, where is he? He's just going to hit Canada. <laughs> so I don't know where I don't know where he's planning to go. It's like, I'm going to Milwaukee. It's like, good luck, Keith. Like, that's it. And he's dressed like the captain from the Captain and Tennille. I, I, it's, there's no point along the way where anyone made a sane decision. Like, like in making that tag, no one ever stopped anything from happening. So, uh, if, if the episode is worth it for that tag alone, which is one of the most mystifying things Parks and Rec ever did, for sure. But the other thing that I, I love is when he's building Paul Shear's character. Is you know he's this like Tony Robbins esque guy. He's got one of those like microphones attached to his face but it's not coming to what end there's no there's no speakers <laughs> there's no audience <laughs> just part of the he illusion Rob. If, keep in mind in the, in the context of the show kaboom isn't real he he, he might be he might that be unhoused the first himself clue. i mean we don't know yeah it's it's da- it, there's a dangling cord it's just not hooked up to anything but uh yeah i mean it was should we talk about the rest of the episode i mean i could do another 30 minutes on the tag i think but i feel like well, but I love that. So the 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 Kaboom pl- playground is built in Eagleton. I think it's the first mention of Eagleton. Is it the first? Oh no, Duke Silver plays at a bar in Eagleton. So very early on, we just used Eagleton as like a throwaway other town. So I think one of the yes. that was one of the like throwaway names we used. I think another thing we did was like we used Ramsit Park as just a, a a park name. Like there's and there's there's things that would come back. So Eagleton. We didn't know what Eagleton was yet at this point, but we would use it as the neighboring town, essentially. But it's not; it hasn't evolved into the the city that everybody's jealous yes, of. Yes, it does. It's not quite yet the Eagleton everyone knows and hates. But yeah, and and this one, by the way, is the episode where we kind of—I mean, the pit gets filled in, right? The pit, the pit. There was one conception of the show where it would take essentially the entire series to fill it in or take the entire series to, to build it into a park. But I think all that stuff got accelerated. I think, you know, we were just having so much fun doing the other stuff that they're like, oh, we can fill in the pit in this one. So um, that was one of the missions, I think, in writing this episode was how does that get done? The network didn't tell you to do it? You tell me. <laughs> you tell me, showrunners and, and uh, NBC executives from around 2009. Our focus groups tell us that they're tired of seeing the dirt. Our focus are so the, the pit is testing through the roof. The pit is the most popular <laughs> character. That would be that would be surprising. But yeah. This is also where this is where Pratt gets the dirt dumped on him, obviously, right? That's a great scene. I wasn't on set for that day, but I, I feel like if Pratt was allowed to do it, he would have he done, done it. He would have done it 100%. So Pratt, one of the things about him is he would like to do all the physical stuff as, as much as possible, including in this episode showing up naked at the end, including, you know, jump, you know, being on a skateboard, being on roller skates, jumping over a counter, like all that stuff. Also including, I remember this early on, he would, you know, usually when you eat food on screen, you spit it into a spit bucket because otherwise you're eating 40 cheeseburgers. But I, I really feel like Pratt would eat the stuff for real and just never, like, he was he was going for it, man. He's a big dude, and he was just eating whatever. But, yeah, I, I probably wasn't safe to dump that dirt on him, so that's probably a stuntman. But every, everything else he would do. Yeah, that was kind of surprising to me. I didn't remember that story point. I was like, oh, they just dumped it on Andy. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. 
Well, I think I think that they might have done it because it explains one of my notes I wrote when I watched it. The makeup on Pratt when he's in the hospital <laughs> post dirt. Yeah. There's no way the makeup artists are that good. That, yeah, it, the, and if and if they did do it. It's the best makeup I've ever seen. It's so subtle she win an Oscar. and so real. Yeah, they should win an Oscar, even though it's not a movie, and it's from twelve years ago. But yeah, it's 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 yeah. He has these little cuts. I noticed the same. I actually did notice the. It was is that what you're talking about? Like the little cuts. Yes. And, yeah. It There's was little scabs. Really it's, subtle. It, it's, it's really brilliant. If it, it, honestly, because my favorite is in there's whenever people get in fights in movies and TV shows, they look exactly the same. Yeah. They have fight makeup on. Or it's a cartoonish huge bruise that you don't buy yes. or whatever. But I actually did this is a that's an interesting thing to point out. I like see again, that's why that's why it's not a total waste to have an actor on the show, Rob. Because you can pick up on things like that. That's right. Our makeup and hair um trailer, and you won't know this because you were busy in the writer's yeah. room. And we've had a lot of talk about the writers and the writer's room, the writer's room. Let's talk. But bro, the makeup and hair trailer, we had fun there, okay. Yeah. We may not have done as you know, as much of important stuff as, you know, you guys did. But <laughs> let me tell you, the makeup and hair trailer was where the dance party was every lunch break. Every lunch break, we would have a dance-a-thon um, started by Polar. And it was for real. I mean, we were getting getting down. And uh, I would say Polar was the ringleader. Who, Rashida, who can seriously dance. I mean, go figure. Yeah. Quincy Jones's daughter, she's got it. That's so fun, and it also is such a great example of the fact that on how much everyone got along. I will say, Rob, very sparingly was there, but I was there. I was in and out sometimes. So for Mousetrap, yeah. And by the time the show wrapped, the entire walls of the these gigantic makeup and hair trailers were like these amazing collages of everybody in just these unbelievably stupid, funny, hilarious behind the scenes moments. It was it was really, really sweet. Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about what that's like? Because I think people don't realize what an integral space that is. It's like a hub of activity and it's, you know, you, I think the actors develop this relationship with hair and makeup because they see them every day. They talk to them every day and it can be a sanctuary. So so you would show up and then, and then would you go there for touch-ups? Like what was the sequence of your day well, every morning? First of all, I'm biased. I married my makeup artist. <laughs> of course. You know, I'm, I'm 30 years in with a makeup artist and, um, it's it's among the most intimate relationships because they see you every day. They see you first thing in the morning. Um, they see you at your you know absolute worst, and their job is to make you your absolute best. So you are gonna love them, and um, if God forbid they're not good, it's hellish because um, they're literally in your grill twenty four seven, and. And then the trailer itself becomes a microcosm for the show. Because again, it's everybody rolling in five in the morning. The sun isn't even up. You're grumpy. You haven't had your coffee. Some of them might even be hungover or whatever the hell it is. And you're trapped in this cubicle. And it can either be great or it can be awful. Or, um, you know, you got the hair. My thing is the hair dryers. The hair dryers... That white noise of multiple hair dryers to this day will give me post-traumatic stress disorder. Because, you know, the ladies got to get their hair, like, dried. And, but, he, but even the, honestly, when Adam Scott would be in there with that ridiculous bouffant. <laughs> you got to get that blown up. You got to get that blown up. 
Uh, he does look different, by the way. You know, you've seen Adam in person. He doesn't have that huge hair. He has a normal hair. <laughs> but yeah, on the show, he yeah. got blown up a lot. I love that. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. But we had a we had probably, without a doubt, the most fun makeup and hair situation I've ever had. For sure. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I get, shout out to shout out to everyone the hair, you know, Autumn and Terry and all those people. But but yeah, it 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 and, and and at the end of the day you get some of it you sometimes you go back in there and get the makeup taken off and so you see them at the end of the day too. But yeah, it's it's it, they set the tone. And and you're seeing your other actors in there, like you were saying. And so it, it's it, it's a really important spot. It's a really important spot. And by spot. the way, if you I, I have many very big, powerful directors who have said if you really want to know what's going on on your set. You really want to know what's up? Ask the makeup and hair department. Yeah. Save big money and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch Bonnie plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. This episode had one of my favorite um, little pieces of dialogue. Um, let's see. It's, so it's uh, where Pratt, he's decided to sue. He's decided to sue because he's misinterpreted um, that Anne wants someone with money. So this is his way to get money to get back with her. And Anne is shocked about it and says, uh, Pratt says, um, well, I'm doing it because uh, she said she needed a lot of money. Leslie says, that doesn't sound like Anne. He goes, well, I'm not very good at doing her voice. There's another joke like that where it's like, uh, so uh, I'm reading it here. Leslie says, all I did was order a backhoe and it came with a guy who runs it. I've never rented a guy before. Wish I knew that during prom. And then Ann says, there's a girl at my prom who was known as the backhoe, Mary Dunbar. She'd let anyone massage her back. It's like, this is just like vaudeville straight up. Like these jokes are like, those, those, I'm like, those jokes, like both that one and the one you cited, like, whoa, those jokes, like kind of like, it's like 1930, but they're still kind of evergreen. It's like, all right, they're in there too. Those jokes got in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean they still listen, setup, old school setup punchline when it's when it's really good, there's nothing better. There's an art to it. There's an art to it. You know, you, you give people all kinds of We actually we talked about them in the writers room sometimes. It was like, look, you'll do big physical comedy, right? A bunch of dirt gets dumped on a guy, you'll do, you know, visual stuff, you'll do character stuff, subtler stuff, and then there's sort of set up punchline jokes that, you know, there's space for all of it. There's space for all of it, especially in a show that goes 125 episodes. You're going to run out of subtle shit sometimes. So, yeah, you're going to do do all kinds of comedy. Um, I, I also want to shout out the cold open of this episode. It's kind of just unrelated to the, the episode, but it's Leslie taking a call from from her credit card company saying what she oh, bought. Great. Yeah, so and it's, funny. Uh, shout out to Katie Dippold, who I think was the voice on the other end. She's one of the writers. Yeah, it, it, I, I love those. Um, letting Amy be Amy. 
basically she's getting a call from her bank about recent purchases and midway through she claims that her credit card got stolen because they're embarrassing it's like a bucket of cake and jessica simpson clipping hair extensions and leslie's or like a, a, a pillow shaped like a man you know like all that kind of stuff so then she's kind of like i i i, I let's, i'm gonna try to take you off speaker and then tom takes the phone and, and they they keep listening pillow shaped like a man is um they cut to Tom, and I think that's the very first appearance of the famous Tom Haverford, wide-eyed smile. I mean, I it's in there, man. It. It's in there. Yeah, and 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 it it's uh sort of like, you know, Greg Greg Levine is posting about Greg Daniels in the chat, but he's like, yeah, Greg Daniels would call the comedy cold open an extra snack. Like you you know, it's a little aperitif. You get this little uh, amuse bouche of comedy, um, and then she says that the, the pillow is shaped like Daniel Craig or something. I think that's the end of it. <laughs> but yeah. 20 bucks to Netflix on her charge and then $10 to Blockbuster because she needed all 11 discs of Gossip Girl. Yeah, I wanted to mention that. It was like, so when she's buying these things off her, you know, her credit card purchases are listed, it starts with something that seems very modern. $20 for Netflix. And I'm like, oh man, that actually seems kind of anachronistic. Netflix was around 12 years ago and we immediately realized it's when Netflix was a DVD service. Like that's like, that, that really shook me. I was like, oh wow, Netflix and Blockbuster. Um, yeah, I Rob, you probably have never been here. I don't know why you would have. I recently went to the last blockbuster store in America. It's Is it in, on Hollywood Boulevard. No, it's in Oregon. It's in what? Oregon. It's in Bend, Oregon. They made a documentary about it. Actually, I went to a wedding up in Oregon, and they've turned the last blockbuster video store into just you know it's still a functioning store, but it just has a bunch of memorabilia and merchandise and stuff. It's actually kind of fascinating because it's like you forget the feeling of walking into a video store and seeing what they have. And you walk into this one and they have pretty modern movies. So they have movies that came out in the last year or two and it's it is jarring because you haven't seen that in so long. Anyway, we were in there for like five minutes. It was it was fine. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Those, those those were the days, man. I mean Yeah. And also like, oh, they're out of it. But like, oh, wait, let's go check the thing where people returned it. It's like, oh, I got it. I found Independence Day or whatever it was. <laughs> like, there it is. Like, I needed, I needed to find Men in Black or whatever, whatever movie it was. And it's like, it's in the little return slot. Anyway, th- for the kids out there, we're old. So, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what we used to do. I, uh, it's hard for actors to come into a very specific universe and really be pitch perfect. And almost every single person that comes into parks and rec as an actor just is amazing in these small little parts like i don't know how you guys found people who are so pitch perfect and just the guy who plays the lawyer for example is so he's he's so dry he's so he's real so good he, and so funny b- because he's so dry he plays scott braddock so one way we do that i think is by just casting extremely overqualified people who had a lot of reps a lot of chops and a lot of sort mm. of just waiting to to burst open so so that lawyer scott braddock the character's name is is played by john benjamin who you know now is sort of a bigger actor. He was Bob on Bob's Burgers. He was Archer. Um, he he we cast him in Master None. He plays Benjamin. So we so we we love John Benjamin. Like he, but I remember in him in this episode, it's like he's really good. He's just really dry. He's got an amazing voice. He so he yes. has, so there's a reason he's like the lead of several animated shows. He's able to deliver really you know 
complicated lines and lines that are, you know, maybe seem a little bit too written, but he's able to deliver them really naturally. And so that's a big thing for him. And so he compare him like, so Shear is really big and broad in the opening. He's like a fun sketch guy in the beginning. And that and that's what that role calls for. And then Benjamin, John Benjamin comes in and just crushes it like really real. He plays it really real and it's still funny. And that's kind of the genius of Benjamin. Like I, I really, I really enjoy that guy. I got to know him a little bit on, uh, on Master of None and, and, you know, we had dinner a few times, but yeah, he's, he kills it. He's, he's great in the show. And there's so like, there's so many cameos in parks, man. There's so many cameos. And this one alone has these two great comedy guys coming in. I love um, when an actor destroys with something really unexpected. And he made me laugh where uh, Andy introduces his lawyer and Leslie says to him, hi, Scott. And he goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he just, just, he just, the, just the, so just small. Just the mm-hmm destroyed me. And it's a guy who's done comedy for like 20 years. It's like, you just can't teach that stuff. You know, you can't teach that stuff. It's just like, ugh, they're boy. They, I forget who someone was, I forget who said it about whom. So it's a great anecdote, but some people are just funny in their bones. They can't, they can't walk. Not funny. They can't talk. Not funny. They can't eat or sleep. Not funny. And yeah. it's like, yeah, Benjamin's like that. Even though, yeah, he's, he does, he's not big and broad. He's every, he's, he's very dry, but he's funny. It's his timing. And like the way his voice is hilarious too. His voice is so fun. Hey, you know what else um, is great about uh, the Kaboom episode is I just soaked in the naked anatomy of Chris Pratt. I I thought that was quite extraordinary. He showed up again. That's not a stunt double, of course. You can see his head attached to the body. So yeah, he shows up, and it's like this is pre-jacked Pratt, of course. So it's like mm-hmm. he's just like a normal guy. He's like very approachable and relatable, and he shows up. He opens the door, and he's completely naked. And, you know, even if you do that scene, you're not totally naked, but you're wearing like a little sock thing. So you got to do it again and again for anyone who doesn't know how this stuff gets shot. You're going to do that at least five times. <laughs> like, it's just going to get like you just have to do it for lighting. So keep in mind, like whatever, take that like he's opening the door and being naked like five times is, is my guess. It was and the other thing. Am I crazy? But like they they pixelated his butt and stuff as they did as it, you know, and, but then there's a joke at the end of it. Am I where he's got a towel, the towels around him. And yet the right, Greg Levine, am I wrong? Am I, I'm not crazy about the, there's crazy, a black right? circle on screen. It's I'm on my, I watched on Peacock premium. Check it out. It's like $5 on Peacock premium, but, but yeah, you, you yeah, there, they, there's a lot of circles at one point. I, am I, was I wrong or was there a circle in the front and the back? Yes. <laughs> like, right, like, why, right. He's wearing something. I don't know why they did that. There's like, there's I like think guess he's walking to the kitchen. They do a double circle. I think <laughs> why? there is a circle on the couch. Why? Yes. <laughs> they just made it it's just fun, right? Just an extra it's joke. It's fun to see. Yeah. <laughs> see, I but I see here's the thing is I love when the show or any show is not a slave to reality. Like <laughs> it's like what you were saying Harris says, sometimes motherfuckers just want to laugh, right? Well, you're gonna enjoy where the show keeps going because it doesn't get more sane. I wouldn't say the show gets more <laughs> sane from here. I would say it definitely stays silly and uh, it maintains in that zone. You know, it's the thing they used to say is like the Pawnee becomes kind of like a live action Springfield, right? And you know, it's fun, you know. Why is the the brace that Andy wears on his neck when he's meeting with the city attorney? I mean, it, it's the most preposterous neck brace since Teddy Kennedy's Chappaquiddick neck brace. Yes. I mean, it's really, really, really a phony neck brace. So I think that's a callback, if I recall correctly. So he's basically wearing a airplane travel neck pillow with like duct tape in front. And that's I believe right. it's a callback to the pilot 
where after Leslie's character falls into the pit, she goes and talks to, I think, Ron, and she has a neck pillow, airplane neck pillow with duct tape on it. So I think in your head, in my headcanon backstory, she said, look, I got this foolproof prop. It's genius. And she gives it to Andy. It'll prove that you broke something and you just wear this neck pillow around your neck. So that's, that's what I think the rationale was. But for the uninitiated, yeah, you're right. It makes no sense. <laughs> but it's good. Again, it's funny. Anything, Greg, anything we, uh, anything from the, the vault of knowledge? Um, yeah, you know, I was thinking about how um, there's a character named Keith Slurtner. And I do remember, I don't know if this is true, Alan, you might remember this, but um, I think when Mike found out what Keefe was and he was upset with Harris for sneaking the name Keefe into the show. Does that ring a bell with you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering if, if Harris had to at some point write the cold open or pitch a name for the show because I think this one kind of got snuck by Mike because the, the name is Keefe Slurtner, K-E-E-F. And for those who are uninitiated... Keef is a slang term for marijuana, which is a drug that people smoke. And Harris liked to smoke weed, and so he called this character Keef, I think, written into some, I don't know, maybe he went off to write the pages or something. Um, but yeah, Mike did not know that. And then, yeah, years later, I think, I don't know how it came up, but he was like, wait, what? Like, there's a character named after this slang term for marijuana, and Mike was furious. <laughs> I think he was like, <laughs> I didn't know. He was like, I don't know what this was. Like, I didn't know that. It's like, we're like, how, you, did not, you didn't know that that was slang for, like, weed? And he was like, no, I didn't know. I was like, all right, man. Well, it's in the show. It's canon now. It's in the show. Mike, Mikey, sure. Yeah, and not Mike, Mike, not a big weed smoker. <laughs> so, no, I don't think Mike is the straightest. <laughs> Have, has there ever been anybody more straight than Mike? <laughs> Mike, Mike is... We we got a, we got in a debate the other day about the show Dave my, Dave my, my girlfriend is on a show called Dave which is an FX show starring Lil Dicky so we had we had a spirited debate over the ethics of Dave in the show Dave I was like Mike he's not supposed to be a good guy but having Mike like analyze the 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 ethics the ethical behavior or non ethical behavior of Dave was very funny Mike in a Mike in a, in another lifetime could have been on like the Hague Tribunal. <laughs> Well, he literally he literally created another show about what it means to be good. He wrote he created the good place. So like he he he's he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And so his brain can probably analyze a bunch more rules of behavior than my brain or your brain. And so yeah, but it is very he ha, he's extremely analytical. And so the idea that Keith Slurner was named after weed was probably infuriating <laughs> to him. Because by by the way, meanwhile you have Harris Wills, who's one of the, maybe the one of the least analytical people who just wanted to have fun. And so that was like, I think it was a great yeah in the writers' room. Sometimes they and they like loved each other because they respected each other because those re- they're both really funny guys. But yeah, that truly was like a, a yin and a yang where, where yeah, we, we, I don't think he was happy about that at all. Where are we going to hold the town hall? You know what? Let's do it on the plot of land that is to become the ice skating rink. Not Ben's ice skating rink, but just the one in town. So this is a plot of land that's about to become... It's a very confusing thing I just pitched. I don't know why I pitched that. <laughs> very I, I, confusing. 
Well, then can I pitch? Please, yeah. I, I pitched a plot of land, which makes no sense. No. No, we want to be inside, and I'm feeling a little hungry, so I think we should have the town hall at JJ's Diner. Okay, great. We'll go to JJ's Diner, and the the, belo- the beloved Brent Briscoe, um, the late, great Brent Briscoe, who ran uh, JJ's Diner, and we'll have a plate of waffles, and we'll do the town hall. They'll be very homey. It'll be a great photo op for us, and it, mm-hmm. it'll make voters think that we're relatable. Um, yeah, let's, let's do the town hall question. Today's town hall question comes to us from Julia in Minneapolis. Julia asks, did any of the writers ever try to push or want to write a romantic storyline between Leslie and Ron? Rob, would you want to see that at some point? What do you think? As a viewer, would you want to have seen that? Yes. Wow, I love that. See, I love, see, this is why, you know, it sometimes helps to get this outside opinion. I know Rob was on the show, but he's, he's watching these episodes and it's, it's, you see the characters, and sometimes when you're in the writer's room, you get so locked into what your conception of them is and what you yeah. know, you're trying to shape them towards. But I, I think oftentimes the viewer wants a certain thing and the, and the writers want a, a, another thing. The answer to the question, Julia, is it was suggested at some point. It was always kind of like an elephant in the room that like never was seriously, seriously considered. But I, I really think I, at one point, Greg Daniels, one of the co-creators, was like, yeah, should, we just, should, should it just be Leslie and Ron? Should they get together? And it never really happened, and I think there were a number of reasons why. I think one of the reasons that was like a pro column was like, okay, well, these are kind of your two, you know, diametrically opposed forces in the show, and, and you know, like, they're around the same age, and, and there's something, they're two very powerful performers, and they're two very defined characters, and they would be funny together, et cetera, et cetera. I think the counter-argument was, is there something really powerful in them being really close and intimate and respectful of each other and have a very deep, meaningful relationship, but never have it be romantic. And I think that eventually won out. And it was like, these two have a philosophical relationship. They have a philosophical disagreement. They are reverse soulmates in some ways, like where they really disagree, but they truly respect each other. And I don't want to speak for Mike at all because he, I'm sure, has a much more sophisticated understanding of all of this. But I think in the back of his mind, Mike was like, the beauty of the show is that these two people who disagree with each other so vehemently on a political issue, on on how something is practiced, can yet still respect each other and respect each other as human beings. And And he didn't want to muddy that with them falling in love. So... Um, but it was pushed. It was definitely put, suggested at some point, and it would have been fascinating, right? It would have been fascinating. Rob, like, I think, like, those are just two awesome characters. I think, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but is that, is that what you saw on them? Like, it'd be well, fun? Well, I mean, I fun. think there's, there's, what, there's what you want as a fan, and then there's what's good for the show. Yeah. And sometimes there are two different things. And um, it's like, I remember when I was working on Wayne's World, and it was early in my relationship with with Lorne Michaels and I, I pitched a couple of jokes and, and I could see him kind of like not really react. And I go, but, but it's, what? It's not funny. It's funny. Right. And he goes, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's funny. It just, is it the right kind of funny? And I, I, I didn't know there was a, I just funny was funny, but it's kind of the same thing. It's like, just because it's funny, does it need to be in the movie? It's like, just because you want them to be together, do you put them together? And what's best for the show clearly was to not have them together. 
Yeah, and it's this beautiful thing where they can have their own relationships and ultimately to show, we, we love all the romantic relationships in the show, but it's a show about work and it's a show about idealism and optimism and, and being able to work together to get things done. And Leslie and Ron are the epitome of that without them ever having to fall in love. So um, good question, Julia from Minneapolis. I think let's close up the town hall. I'm full, man. I had a, I had a shit ton of waffles. What waffle did you eat? Uh, I had a blueberry, I had a strawberry, and I had a banana nut. Wow, that's a lot. I keep it simple. I'm going with uh, strawberries and whipped cream. Hi, man. That sounds good. Sometimes I'll put sometimes I'll put um, syrup on it. Sometimes yeah, it used to be when I was a little kid. Uh, like pancakes and waffles were my favorite food. Now I'm a savory boy. Just like savory foods. Not really a big sweets guy, but you know. That's for my other po- uh, podcast about food. So we'll, <laughs> we'll do yeah, that that's later. Coming up, we got great shows coming up, Rob. I'm excited. More coming down the pipeline. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. Thanks to producer Greg and producer Schulte. Bye from Pony. This episode of Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Stitcher.